Well, this is it. We've come to the end of our study. In this video, we're going to discuss the last two chapters of Richard Foster's book. But before I discuss those final two disciplines and before we conclude our study, I, I, I want to remind you of something that we discussed in our first session, something that Foster put a lot of emphasis on in his introduction. All throughout this study, we've been talking about disciplines, habits to build and cultivate in our lives. And in talking about these, these disciplines, these habits, and talking about practices and how to make them a part of our lives, it's easy to begin to fall into the mindset that these disciplines are, are a kind of program for self-improvement. It's easy to start thinking of them in the same way you would think of other practices that you adopt to improve yourself, like an exercise routine or a new time management technique. But remember what Foster said in the introduction. These spiritual disciplines, they're not a technique, nor are they some kind of program for personal growth. Growth in the spiritual life comes not through our own efforts, but through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the purpose of all of these disciplines has been nothing more and nothing less than making space for the Spirit to do His work. Prayer, study, fasting, solitude, worship, confession, all of these are ways of simply opening ourselves up to the work of the Spirit, making ourselves available to God as he goes about his work of transformation. All right, well, with that being said, let's discuss what Foster has to say about these final two disciplines. First, let's talk about the discipline of guidance. Guidance is something that we all desperately need, and it's one of the principal things that Christians tend to seek from God. Should I take this job opportunity? Should I marry this person I'm dating? What kind of ministry should I get involved in? How can I best serve God in this next season of my life? Now, these are only a few of the many practical questions that people regularly ask. And for Christians in particular, our question is not just what ought we to do, but what would God want us to do? But how can we answer that question? How do we know where does that guidance come from? Now, Richard Foster's Discussion of this topic, it's not meant to be some thorough explanation about how to go about receiving guidance from God. In his earlier discussions of disciplines like meditation and prayer, he's already talked about some of the ways that we as individuals can listen for the voice and direction of God. But in this chapter, he focuses on one particular way that the Holy Spirit guides us, and that is by speaking to us through the voice of other Christians. It's why he classifies this discipline as one of the, the corporate spiritual disciplines, because it's a practice we engage in with others. And what it looks like can take a variety of forms. Foster gives multiple examples. For instance, he talks about a time in the life of St. Francis of Assisi, when Francis was unsure of whether he should devote himself to a life of devotion and prayer, or whether he should engage in an active ministry of preaching. He needed guidance. So he asked two of his close friends, Sister Claire and Brother Sylvester, to each 
independently pray, and to ask trusted companions to pray with them, and then send him their counsel. But as Foster emphasizes, by asking for Claire and Sylvester to pray and give him guidance, Francis, he wasn't just asking to friends for advice. He was seeking a way to open the windows of heaven to reveal the mind of Christ, and he took it as such to the great good of all to whom he ministered. Foster also mentions other examples, such as when a person discerning a call to pastoral ministry sought out a group of people in the church to pray with him and help him discern God's will, or another time when in a church that he was serving in, when a young couple asked several people in their church to pray with them and help them seek guidance on whether or not they should get married. Or, or he talks about other Christians going about the same process as they seek guidance on particular business decisions. It's still another model that Foster mentions is that of spiritual directors to whom people entrust themselves for for regular guidance and advice in their life. As I was reading this chapter, I was reminded of my own experiences of this kind of corporate guidance. Anytime I've had to make a major decision, I've tended to seek out mature Christians who would pray with me and give me counsel. I've also had several relationships with different spiritual directors. Some of those relationships lasted three, four, five years, usually with men that were older and wiser and more spiritually mature than me who would meet with me on a regular basis and help guide and direct my life. And to this day, I have a group of fellow clergy that I meet with on a weekly basis. And we do the same thing. We meet every week. We read scripture together. We pray with each other and for each other. And whenever one of us needs guidance on a decision, we seek the will of God together. Like I said, this isn't the only way in which we hear and obey the voice of God in our lives. But I have to say, speaking for myself, it's certainly been one of the most important ways that I have experienced the Spirit's guidance along the way. But in this video, I don't want to just talk about the discipline of guidance. I also want to talk about the topic that Richard Foster discusses in his final chapter, the discipline of celebration. Now, several years ago, I came across a quote from Pope Francis that really struck me. Joy, Francis said, is the sign of a Christian. A Christian without joy is either not a Christian or he is sick. There is no other type. A healthy Christian is a joyful Christian. I think Richard Foster would agree because he too thinks that joy is absolutely central to the spiritual life. In fact, he says that joy, he describes joy as the, the motor of the spiritual life. It's what keeps us going. And without it, without joy, the spiritual life becomes nothing but lifeless religion. Without a joyful spirit of festivity, the disciplines become dull, death-breathing tools in the hands of modern Pharisees. At the same time, joy isn't just what drives and animates the other disciplines. It's also a product, an effect of these disciplines. Because the purpose of the disciplines is to enable us to follow Christ. And joy, Foster says, comes through obedience to Christ. 
and joy results from obedience to Christ. Without obedience, joy is hollow and artificial. I think that's something that we often miss when it comes to joy. We often think of joy as an emotional state we experience when we're doing something that we particularly love or when we've encountered some something unexpected that's a cause for celebration. Joy just overtakes us. But I don't think that many of us think of joy as something that is produced by obeying Christ. And yet, according to Foster, that's exactly how we experience true joy. And that, he says, that is why I have placed celebration at the end of the study. Joy is the end result of the spiritual disciplines functioning in our lives. God brings about the transformation of our lives through the disciplines, and we will not know genuine joy until there is a transforming work within us. Likewise, he suggests that we won't know genuine joy until we learn to trust God to provide and care for us. In his section in the chapter called The Spirit of Carefree Celebration, he mentions numerous times in the New Testament when we are encouraged to to celebrate or to rejoice or to give thanks. And he notes that what most often prevents that, what tends to work against it, is the anxiety or the worry we feel when we try to take control and manage everything ourselves. He, he mentions what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 about how we shouldn't be anxious about any of our needs in life and how the Apostle Paul, similarly, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul tells us not to be anxious, but instead to cast all of our cares on God through prayer. And so after quoting some of these verses, Foster makes this observation. The spirit of celebration will not be in us until we have learned to be careful for nothing. And we will never have a carefree indifference to things until we trust in God. So there you have it. Joy is essential to the Christian life. Without it, without celebration, the disciplines become nothing more than dull and lifeless religious practices. At the same time, joy isn't something we'll ever really be able to experience until we learn to obey Christ and trust in Him to care for us, which is what the disciplines are for, to help us obey Christ and learn to trust in Him. I don't know about you, but I want to be a joyful Christian. More than that, I want to be a faithful follower of Jesus. I want to experience the intimacy he experienced with the Father. And I want to be a source of blessing and a source of life to those around me just as Jesus was to all those who came into contact with him. I'm not satisfied with my current level of maturity in the spiritual life. I want to grow. And that's why I've wanted to read through and discuss and, more importantly, apply this book. Because these disciplines are some of the primary ways we make ourselves available to the transforming work of God's Spirit. Because these disciplines are how we grow in the spiritual life. Because these disciplines lead to joy. Joy.